When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, sort of a new era of Soccer Made in Portland. I'm so excited to welcome Caitlin Murray. Um, as everyone who listened last week or two weeks ago actually knows, Richard Farley is moving on to doing his other pods and all the great work he does at Timbers.com. Caitlin Murray is joining the show. Um, I hope people out there have already read her stuff, know, have seen all the great things she's done on Timbers Thorns men's national team and of course women's national team uh in case you don't know caitlin murray i'll give her a chance to introduce herself but um someone who has obviously been covering soccer here in portland for a long time um caitlin i am so glad that you're here i am thrilled to be here i am so excited for this new era of the podcast and i hope all your listeners don't unsubscribe because i've joined (laughs) No, I think some people were pretty excited. I, I saw people saying they were going to subscribe just for you. So um, that's very I, I sweet. Think, <laughs> I think some people might be bigger fan of you than than just listening to me. So I, I think it's going to be great um, for the people that don't know you. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, I've covered the Timbers and the Thorns for the Portland Tribune, for the Athletic. Whenever you're on vacation, I do stuff for the Oregonian. Um, yeah, and I used to work for Fox Sports. Currently, you can find my stuff at Yahoo, The Guardian. I wrote a book about the U.S. women's national team for anyone who wants to check that out. It's called The National Team. And yeah, I've just uh, been writing about soccer for a while, and I live here in Portland. So soccer made in Portland. It's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Richards told me a little while back that he'd be leaving the show, and I pretty much immediately reached out to you and wanted to try to get you on as a co-host. And of course, um, we had to. I had to convince Richard to stay on a few more weeks uh, than he was otherwise going to do because you've spent the last month. Um, I guess it's a few weeks back now, but you spent a month in France, yep. uh, covering the covering the women's national team in the World Cup. Yeah, it's actually two weeks to the day since I got back to Portland after spending thirty two days in France. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. It was very exciting. Um, I couldn't have imagined going into it that the U.S. was going to have the tournament that they did. Uh, so it was really thrilling, really cool experience. And, yeah, I'm glad to be back, and I don't want to see a croissant ever again. <laughs> I ate them so much while I was there. <laughs> Is there Covering a World Cup, I, I mean, it's like it seems like it must be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I've been to one World Cup game, and I know that's going to um, – in 2015, and I know that's one of my favorite memories – of being a soccer reporter, but were there any moments, uh, either, you know, just reporter wise things that happened? What, what stood out to you? Anything that you're really 
taking back, telling people about? Um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. The U.S. really didn't look like they were going to lose at any point in the tournament. And I remember in 2015, I covered that tournament in Canada, and it was a lot of you know, being worried about the team and asking the players about it. Whereas this time around, it was maybe a bit more fun because the players were always in a good mood. They were always <laughs> having great games. Uh, so from that standpoint, it was really fun to cover. Um, I mean, hanging out with, you know, Annie Peterson, who's here in Portland as well. She was there in France getting to, um, you know, spend more time with reporters that I see all the time. That was a lot of fun. Um, I remember being in my hotel in Paris when I saw that Donald Trump had tweeted about <laughs> Megan Rapino, and I remember thinking, oh, God, and just closing my laptop and not <laughs> wanting to do with it. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of memorable things about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's I'm still sort of processing it. I've still, you know, I've only been back for a couple weeks, and I've actually been doing more stuff related to the U.S. Women's National Team. So I feel like I really haven't kind of gotten the separation from it yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think when I look back in it in a year, maybe different things will stand out. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I mean, anyone who has uh, U.S. Uh, women's National Team questions, uh, of course, now, um, feel free to ask those whenever because Caitlin Murray – uh, obviously, Caitlin, you're someone who's going to be able to answer all those questions uh, probably better than I can, uh, having covered the team as uh, as much as you have. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I've given you no break, no vacation. I, I literally, <laughs> I literally myself went on vacation for a week uh, to a wedding and um, a family reunion, and had made sure they hired you if they were going in to cover stuff. So I made sure you had no break yep. coming back. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> now you're on the pod, but um, <laughs> let's, before we get into the Timbers and Thors discussion, I just want to hit a few questions from listeners that uh, were specifically geared towards you. And I think they're, you know, incredibly important questions. <laughs> just very so, revealing. It's very revealing. Um, this seems to be a huge question on Twitter. Uh, I think Mike uh, specifically ha has been the one that's made sure to ask everyone associated with the Timbers uh, and the Thorns about this. Um, so I guess you're up next <laughs> to give your answer. What is your opinion on olives? Yeah, so hashtag olives in or olives out. Yeah. Um, I think I'm hashtag olives in. I like uh, black olives, green olives. My exception is Kalamata. I think they're disgusting. So keep those away from me. But generally, I'm pro-olive. <laughs> well, I'm olive out. I can't remember. I really should know which one Mike is. So he, he's probably going to say something about this. So he, he's definitely on one of our sides. And I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> um, this is more related to, to Portland. Um, uh, just going around the city. A few people ask kind of on your food options. So what's your favorite go-to brunch place? Or are you, do you have a strong take on food carts? What, what is you, if you're being a foodie Portland person, what, what is it that you're doing? Yeah, I'm not really a brunch haver because uh, I like to sleep in. And usually brunch means waking up and getting dressed and leaving. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not always a brunch person. I've... I like Imperial for brunch. They always have a good uh, yeah. rotating menu. Um, as far as food carts, I'm not huge on food carts. My favorite is the whole bowl, which I highly recommend. 
Um, but generally, I would just always pick like a restaurant that has seating so I can sit down. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is fair. I definitely like to <laughs> sit down. I, I, I definitely, even with bars, I'm the type of person that wants to find a bar that's nice and quiet to sit. So yeah um, i guess we can we we, we should could do a pod yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at a restaurant where you could sit since <laughs> you gotta find those um one final listener question from nick and back in the day when me and chris reifer recorded this uh there was a lot of baseball analogies i, I feel like richard farley brought in some nba analogies so i really liked this question from nick maybe maybe it's an indication if we're going to get some analogies <laughs> or maybe not um but he wants to know um, I think the listeners know that I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. Nick wants to know, what is your opinion on baseball? Yeah, there's going to be no baseball analogies because <laughs> I think baseball is the most boring sport oh. on the planet. And I know <laughs> that Jamie is probably, um, you know, just shattering to pieces as I say that. But um, yeah, I think baseball sucks. So, <laughs> so, so we don't have to worry about that. This will be strictly soccer. Soccer is the only sport that I truly care about. So, (laughs) well, well, that was a good hot take segment for today. Yeah, Um, we'll we'll bring that back eventually. But that (laughs) was the mini hot take segment for today. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's let's get into something you know more serious, or at least uh, more, I guess, analytical. we're, I, I, we weren't on last week as we sort of made the switch with the with I, me going on vacation and, and then Richard um, leaving the show and, and Caitlin coming on. Um, so we missed a lot of games. Instead of trying to recap it and having a three-hour long show, I, I think we're just going to start um, with the games from last week and, and just review those in a little bit more depth. So starting on the Timbers side... Uh, Pretty sure this is one that the fans were probably pretty happy about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timbers go up to Seattle. Uh, it's a place where they had a ton of trouble with for the longest time to get wins up there. And it seems like every time they go to Century Lake now, they, they find a way to get the job done recently. Um, they win 2-1. to one. Um, They have gone on the road and beat three teams that had otherwise been undefeated at home in the last two weeks. Uh, so obviously a good result, but... Andrew asks, and I think this was on a lot of people's mind coming out of sort of the week as a whole, is it strange that I'm looking forward to road games where opponents will open up more than Timbers home games? Yeah, I mean, that's not strange at all. I mean, look at how the Timbers played against Colorado at home, how the Timbers played against Orlando. Those teams bunkered. And you know, after that Orlando game, Zarek Valentin said, this is the recipe that every team is going to use when they come into Providence Park now. And I think the Timbers, what we've seen is that they are a counter-attacking team. That is when the Timbers look kind of their most comfortable, uh, their most effective. And you are given the opportunity to be a counter-attacking team when you are on the road. Because the way it sort of works is if you're the home team, there is an expectation that you will dictate the tempo of play. You will impose yourself on the other team. And that gives the Timbers the opportunity to sort of sit back, pick their moments, and then get into those counterattacking positions. So I think it's sort of, you know, Seattle sort of played into the the Timbers' hands in this game because Seattle was trying to do that. They were dominating possession. They were being the team that was trying to impose themselves, and that gave the Timbers the opportunity to play the way that, you know, what we've seen is they're really good on the counter. So um, 
yeah, I think I think it makes sense. I think that's something that the, the Timbers have to figure out. How can they unlock teams that are bunkering and sitting back a little more? How can they generate more ideas when what they're doing isn't working? So, um, yeah, I think Andrew, uh, you know, makes a good point. Yeah, I, I think you look at the Seattle game, I, I believe the Timbers held just about 40% of possession, um, which seems to be on the road, something they're completely comfortable with. They they don't need to be that team that's going to impose themselves on the game or uh, try to control possession, try to be that dominant force as long as they can stay organized on defense, which was obviously a huge issue earlier in the season, but they've mm. solved and it, as long as they can find those open spaces. I mean, they work really well, sort of the creativity and their, their ability to work with that. They work really well when they have space, and yeah. they're struggling a lot against weaker teams. I mean, Orlando yeah. and Colorado, um, just I, I think almost from a lack of creativity, it, something has to change. And I, I think we've seen that Giovanni Savaresi is good at making adjustments um, mm-hmm. historically. The question is, are they going to solve that quickly at home? Because they have played 12 of their next 14, 12 of their final 14 games this season at home. So <laughs> the road yeah. form has been great. That Seattle win was huge for them. It put them um, as close to the red line as they've been, but they got to solve something home uh, right now. And, and when teams are going to come in with that approach, and there's no reason why teams would necessarily want to change that right now when it's been so effective the last few weeks. Yeah. And they started the season with these road games looking absolutely terrible. And then at some point they figured it out. And now I think they've gotten to the point where they've been so comfortable playing on the road that they haven't reached that same level of comfort playing at home. And I think to a certain extent, we've seen sort of a similar thing with the Thorns where they've gotten used to being road warriors and now they need to remember how they can sort of be the dominant team at home. So, yeah, I mean, that that is sort of the main question mark, I think, with the Timbers right now. We know they have the quality. We know they can get results. It's just, can they do that at home consistently? Can they play the way that we know they want to play when they're at Providence Park? So, um, yeah, that's sort of the thing to watch going forward. I think it will be interesting, and I will get into this a little bit more with the preview with the Galaxy, um, that they will have a full week to prepare for this one. They they were dealing with both the Orlando and Colorado game with these short turnarounds, and, and maybe that's an element of why it hasn't been as effective. The Timbers played LAFC. Um, they went toe-to-toe with them at Providence Park um, when they came in um, for that home opener. Uh, that was a pretty decent performance, obviously, against a very good team. So we've seen them play well at home, and obviously, you know, they had, I think, 4 nothing against the Galaxy and Houston in the same week. We've seen them play that way. It's sort of been this recent, um, recently, where they haven't been able to deal with teams that bunker in. Of course, mm-hmm. as we're saying, I mean, if they can't deal with that, that's what teams are going to do. And so we'll get into that a little bit more, but I think it'll be interesting to see um, with a full week of preparation, with a much better team uh, like the Galaxy, who maybe won't bunker in the same way Colorado and Orlando did, uh, if something changes. Yeah. So with the game plan in Seattle, did you did anything? I mean, maybe we've already touched on this with talking about the counterattack and open spaces. Did anything else stand out to you from from why the Timbers were able to? Um, I mean, go up and get a pretty deserving uh, win. Yeah, I think, well, to be fair, I do think Rui Diaz 
had a sitter that he should have scored. And I think he yeah. he had a bad game. And I think if he has the sort of game that we've seen from him before, it's a different story. Um, you know, I, I think the Sounders created the chances that they needed to win that game. They didn't put them away. Yeah. Um, I think another thing is uh, Jorge Morea, I thought, uh, you know, played an important role in that game. Um, and, and, I mean, that's his role on this team. He pushes up and he adds a numerical advantage and provides service. And I think in a game like that, where the Timbers were counterattacking and he can sort of arrive late um, and add a number, um, I think he was effective in that role. Whereas, you know, I was at the Orlando game and it seemed like everything was sort of crosses from the right side. I, I know that's not how the game was, but that's sort of how it felt. And I don't think it was as effective in that situation where the Timbers had the possession, all of the game was sort of being played in Orlando's half. I think the Seattle game was different in that it was um, just so transitional. And I think, you know, we, we touched on that, that that's really where the Timbers can sort of excel when they get that open space and they're able to counter. Um, but I thought that in, the, in that type of game, Jorge Morea was really effective. And I thought um, he was a big factor. Yeah, and his, um, I believe it was his shot that led to Brian Fernandez scoring the opening goal. Jeremy Abobasi had a sitter as well, yeah. um, in my opinion, that I that agree. could have changed games, the game um, at that moment. Diego Valeri, after the game, you know, when sort of asked, like, what's the difference between uh, these games at home where, where you've had these draws with teams that are bunkering versus these games on the road? And I agree with what we're saying, but I I think Larry also made a, a good point, which is just he said because they've been able to score early on the road, then they've been able to sort of play the game they want. Mm-hmm. And, and it just changes games when you get that early goal. Uh, they haven't yeah. been able to do that uh, as recently at home, and that could be an element of it at least. Um, so, yeah, they they get the goal when they need it, um, and I, that definitely helped put them in a position where they could – sort of in, sit back, make the most of the opportunities on the counterattack and just realize they had that lead and not, not, I mean, obviously at the end, Steve Clark came up huge, but Seattle was pretty desperate uh, because yeah. they were in a situation where they had to score. Yeah. I mean, game states are a huge part of the game. And I just spent a month in France dealing with that. The U S scored all their goals <laughs> in the first 12 minutes of games. And it's hard to come back from that. You really have to open yourself up in that situation. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that can definitely be part of it. I don't know if we have much we sh- should say or need to say about Brian Fernandez. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I almost feel like there's not a new way of saying it, but he's he really has, good. <laughs> he's really good. He has four goal. He has a 11, I believe it's 11 goals as a timber so far. Four of them are against Seattle. So, yeah, well, <laughs> The thing about Brian Hernandez is I remember in the off season when you and I were both, you know, reporting that the Timbers wanted to use their DP slot on a striker. And there was so much pushback from fans who thought that the Timbers should try to get a right winger. They should try to get a central midfielder. They should even try to get a center back. And I think what we're seeing is why the Timbers went after a number nine. I mean, when Brian Fernandez has an opportunity to score a goal, he scores a goal and Jeremy Obobese, I I think, has grown a lot as a player. He's been more productive than he was last season. But that game in Seattle showed us the difference between those two players. Because Jeremy Obobese did have a chance that all he had to do was direct that on frame, and that's a goal. Whereas Brian Fernandez, 
you know, he comes up big in those moments. So, you know, it's, it's not a knock on Jeremy Obobese. I think he's incredibly important to the Timbers. I think he provides, um, you know, that link and he can hold up the ball well and he provides a lot of things that are really important to the Timbers. But the Timbers needed someone who's a finisher up top and that's Brian Fernandez. And He's really good, and, you know, while I was in France, I wasn't able to watch all the games live because they were in the middle of the night. But every time I watched the highlights, it was like, oh, Brian Fernandez scored again. So, uh, yeah, he, he, he was a good acquisition. Yeah, I mean, Obobese, there's been a few setters that, that you can look back at the season and say, oh, Obobese should have scored that. And I think that just – that doesn't say, like you said, that he – is bad. It's just that he is still raw. He's still a young player and to sort of bank their entire season on, on a player with the limited experience that Jeremy Bobasi has. I, I, I think that's why both of us for the whole time were really on the side of, yeah, striker seems like a position that this team needs. And mm-hmm. I think this has turned the timbers. I, there's still clearly some stuff that needs to be figured out. As we talked about, they have to, find a way to be that dominant team at home and, and get the job done consistently. That's what they need to do to move up in the standings. But it, it's turned this team from a team that, yeah, they, they probably have a good shot of making playoffs to, yeah, this team could do something this year. I, I'm not yeah. sure when you have single elimination playoffs and a team like LAFC, how much any other team <laughs> is going to do. But uh, I guess the other side of single elimination is anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Brian Fernandez, I think what has impressed me the most is sort of his mentality and his approach in games like this is a guy who is clearly a clutch player he steps up in big moments and I'm interested to see what he can do in the playoffs um you know I I think those are the moments where he can really uh step up I mean I don't know if it's a coincidence that he scores big goals against Seattle. I mean, that's the Timbers' rival. Those are the highest stakes that we've seen him play in for the Timbers. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, Brian Fernandez is definitely a difference maker. Yeah. Um, So the Timbers do actually go 3-0-2 during a stretch of five games in 15 days. Uh, That The final game of that was in Seattle. Um, Stu wants to know, how do you feel like we've handled uh, how the Timbers have handled this compacted schedule? And is there anything to take away uh, when they go to approach um, within a week? I mean, they're going to have another five games in 15 days uh, to open August. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Sarah, I say definitely learned more about the right way to approach these sort of schedules uh, compared to last season. I think, um, you know, we saw more rotation. Uh, I was a little surprised at how much Sebastian Blanco was playing, yeah. but I have to assume that, like, the Timbers must have benchmarks that they're expecting players to meet before they make the decision to play them. And I have to assume that Sebastian Blanco was showing no signs of fatigue. Um, there were points in the Seattle game where I thought he looked maybe a little tired, like he was less precise than he normally is. Um but but in general, I thought that the rotation was uh, well done. And Savarese was actually asked uh, last week at training uh, when I was there 
He was asked if if he thought that the Timbers had more depth this year than they did last year. And he didn't want to put it in those terms, like in terms of the players he has. Mm -hmm. But he did say that he feels he has more options of players who are ready to step in. So it's more like from a preparation standpoint, he thinks that the – the Timbers do have more depth this year. And I think I think we've seen that. I mean, zero losses in – I mean, they had six games in 22 day, days, which is a lot. That's like a game every four days. And they didn't lose any of them. So, I mean, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, absolutely it is. And I, I think that – I was actually a little bit surprised with – I, the, he did rotate during the stretch, of course, but there was maybe less rotation than I expected. Uh, as you said, he, with Blanco playing all five games. Yeah, that was I think there is an element where they, in some positions they just have three starters. I mean, you yeah. see Marrera, Valentin, or Viafania go out there and you're not feeling – it doesn't really feel like rotation because any of those players can play it, and that speaks to the depth. But I was surprised with the Seattle game seeing eight of the 11 starters that were in the Orlando game make that turnaround. And so what it'll be interesting to see if we can find a little bit more um, or if the team wants to talk a little bit more about it, but there, there must be some things they've made changes in, in terms of just the metrics they're looking at and how they're looking at that. Because I I think last year was a lot about trying to figure out how to rotate. Um, But even though they rotate this time around, it it isn't like we saw games um, in the stretch really that they just said, this is going to be a throwaway game. Yeah. There, there were some injuries, um, you know, for the Colorado game, there were yeah. some weird situations where um, Zimbrano, I, I'm trying to remember, he's playing right back and Paredes yeah. left back or opposite sides. With the, so, the yeah. yeah red card. And I thought that was the game they looked the most fatigued probably out of uh, the entire stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right that um, there maybe could have been more rotation, but like I said, I have to assume that they have um, – you know, set some sort of metric and that's how they're deciding. Um, so, yeah. (laughs) So I mentioned it earlier, but Portland is two points below the red line right now. Um, they have 12 of 14 games. They will play at home to close out the season. Uh, before we move on to our preview, if you had to predict right now, where do you think this team's going to finish in the standings? Oh, you want me to actually pick a spot? If you you don't have to, if you don't want, if you just want to give a sense of it, you can. I put you on the spot, but if you want to, <laughs> predictions are always fun because then when you're wrong, I can I can um, make fun of you. We're we're uh, they will finish. I'm just gonna throw out um, fifth, fifth in the standings. Yeah. Here's the thing: the Timbers can finish anywhere between like last and first. And, or maybe uh. last and second, and, and I would believe <laughs> yeah. that. Like, this is MLS. It's only July 23rd as we're recording right now. Like, the Seattle Sounders were in last place in July in 2016, and then they won MLS Cup. Like, MLS is crazy, so <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't say. Yeah, as of now, I'd say fourth. Um, I think that the Galaxy, I, I think the top three are, are could very easily be how this turns out with LAFC galaxy and and Seattle at the top. Um, but I also think there will be some movement uh, around, uh, it's very close when you look at the standings outside of LAFC, uh, teams can definitely move around the, the having 12 games at home. I, I mean, it might take them a few more games to figure it out, but it would be a massive disappointment if this team doesn't figure out a way to pick up a ton of points during those games. Yeah, I guess, 
you know, I really, uh, I knew that question was coming. I, I didn't really look at it at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what sort of like points per game average we should expect. I just, like I said, I think MLS is crazy and really hard to predict. So I just, uh, I don't know. I'm going to say anywhere between last and first. And that's my final answer. Man, if they if they beat out LAFC, that would be at this yeah, point, I yeah, feel like something. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. You never know what's going to happen. So you are right. That's the thing about MLS. Predictions are just things to, to make fun of yourself for later. <laughs> okay. They are playing the Galaxy this weekend. The Galaxy are coming off a uh, 3-2 win over LAFC. Zlatan said he was the best player at in MLS, said he was better than Carlos Vela, and backed it up with a hat trick. Um, I enjoyed that. That was fun. <laughs> that was, that's the best thing about Zlatan is he's so his comments come off as so arrogant, so confident, but he backs it up every time. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that was probably my favorite. Uh, you know, not to keep going back to my adventures in France, but that was sort of one of my favorite storylines. Was the Americans kept getting accused of being arrogant. <laughs> And then they won the whole tournament. It's like, well, maybe they had a reason to feel pretty yeah. confident. So, yeah, Zlatan is very good. Very good. Yeah, let's start there. What What do the Timbers have to do to stop Zlatan? Obviously, he scores on PKs, but he scores twice last time they play them. And they lose in L.A. What do they have to do to accept hope he doesn't play on turf? Assuming he plays, <laughs> what, uh, what do they have to do to stop him this time around? Well, I I know that – I looked at the rundown, and I saw – so there were two questions. What do the Timbers have to do to stop Zlatan? And then the other question that's sort of lingering over this game is how do the Timbers win without Diego Chara? And I'm going to sort of combine them because I okay. think you can't stop Zlatan. He is too good, and he scores goals that are sort of impossible to imagine. They are, you know – the sort of goals that only he can score. So I think what you have to do is cut off service to him. And I think where the Timbers will win this game is in the midfield. They have to win the midfield battle. They have to prevent Zlatan from getting the ball. And the way the Galaxy play, like, everything they do finishes with Zlatan. They play very direct. They play the ball to him. If they can cut off that service so he's not getting good opportunities to score. I think that's their best hope. Doing that without Diego Chara is definitely, uh, you know, an added difficulty <laughs> to that. I, I, I honestly don't know, like, what you do differently. I think you hope that your players can step up in that moment. Um, but, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think not having Chara is – absolutely not going to help um I, I think it's really disappointing uh we didn't talk about this in the seattle rundown but i that that was a silly foul on Roldan dan in, in the 98th minute of stoppage time um or 98th minute of the game uh he did not need to be suspended for this game so i, I don't not really quite sure what char was thinking in that moment um yeah. i think it's going to be a lot tougher without him and i i think the Timbers are going to want to dictate this game at home. They're want, going to want to control possession because I think if they were to concede possession at home, if they were to go into this without the mindset of dictating the game, the Galaxy is the type of team, if they're on the ball enough, Slotan yeah. will just find a way to do something. So yeah. if the Timbers can basically their defense, the defense is to have a good offense. 
um, is sort of how I, I think you sort of approach this game. If they're on the ball more, if they're if they're pressuring the galaxy, if that's how the game's sort of playing out, then you limit the chances that Zlatan's going to get. Because if he gets around the box, he's going to try to make something happen, whether it's scoring a goal or drawing a penalty. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think this is a game where you want to let the galaxy have control of the ball at all. Um, yeah, I agree. I think the Timbers are going to need to impose themselves and just try to take Zlatan out of the game. Yeah, the Timbers have, I mean, coming up, they like we said, they play a lot of home games. Um, they, they will play a lot of home games, but at the same time, the, this stretch with the Galaxy and then Minnesota, and then they'll come home for Vancouver, it, they'll play in August. I'm trying to, I guess Saturday's game is the last game of July, but between July's 27th and the end of August, they have, I can't even count this. I have to scroll down. Uh, so they play, yeah, they play seven games in August. Uh, they finish out the month uh, with this Galaxy game before beginning that five-game and 15-day stretch. But they do, as we talked about, have a lot of home games coming up. Do you have an idea right now what you think is a reasonable expectation of what we could see out of them? I mean, I, I don't think this game this weekend is going to be a gimme by any means. I don't know. I, I saw this on the rundown and also uh, did not really think about this one. Um, I don't know. Why don't you you offer your take, Jamie? <laughs> I mean, looking at a lot of these games, I, I think there's some really big opportunities to pick up wins. I, I think that this weekend's going to be a challenge. And I, I think, like we talked about, Diego Char not being in there makes it um, that much harder. Uh, we saw LAFC come in here with a player like Carlos Vela and, and what they were able to do. I am making the assumption that Zlatan's going to play. I, he has played. He has played at Providence Park and, and he has played on turf. So I'm assuming he's going to be in this game. If for some reason he makes that choice not to play or something like that because of the turf, uh, yeah, the Timbers should throw a party. <laughs> um, <laughs> they should have a parade. <laughs> they do have some big opportunities coming up, though. With uh, I mean, Vancouver at home is a big one that. I think they need to be able to... Those are the types of games that I think they need to just prove that they're going to win. They play Vancouver at home. They play the Chicago Fire at home uh, in August. They play Seattle at home, which is just a big rivalry game that they're going to want to find a way to get a job done. They play Sporting Kansas City, who's been struggling at home. They have a lot of games against teams uh, along this way that are going to be below the red line or right around the red line. Um, Yeah, but I mean... Colorado and Orlando were two of well, the that's worst the thing. teams. <laughs> so. This is the thing. It's hard. It, you know, I, I'm not going to give an exact prediction of what they're going to go because I want to see whether they can figure out this, figure this out because that's the problem. I'm not yeah. sure if it, LA. I think, yeah, I think it's less about the opponents and more about the, the Timbers. Timbers themselves sort of figuring out how they're going to play, how they need to play, and kind of developing the identity as a imposing home team again. I mean... Yeah. We have seen them do it, but I think more and more we're going to see teams say, oh, bunkering works? Okay, we're we're just going to bunker like crazy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's really sort of dependent on the Timbers. Yeah, and I, it'll be interesting to see how L.A. approaches this exactly. Obviously, they are not – I feel like with Colorado and Orlando being the weak teams they are, there really was no – that they were always going to come in and bunker. Yeah. Um, the Galaxy, the way they've been playing – with a player like Zlatan, I'm not sure if we're going to see exactly that that kind of buggering, but it's been working. So uh, 
it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out. I agree. All right. Let's hit some listeners' questions. And before we move on to Thorns, actually, uh, we've covered that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was more about David asked a good question about uh, what should the Timbers move be against a bunkering opponent. But uh, we, we have... I think I, we I talked think a lot talked about a, bunkering. Yeah, That's so, a theme. We shouldn't name this podcast the bunkering podcast. The bunkering podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. Um, so let's move on to Thorns then. Uh, they went on the road and, and also got a, a good result. Um, didn't Weren't able to do what the Timbers didn't get a win on the road, but they go to Utah over the weekend. They get a 2-2 draw uh, with the Royals. I think there is a sense of disappointment coming out of this game. Mm. Um it it's it, it's in, it's actually kind of interesting mark parsons got uh and this is this is kind of not necessarily on our notes but mark parsons got asked yesterday if sort of the expectations for the thorns are, are sometimes too high um just because it feels like when they go on the road and get a draw oftentimes the the, the feeling is more disappointment um but but I, I think there is reasons to to be a little bit disappointed about this game and, and I, I, I hit on this first. The th- Thorns can see in the 90th minute, um, and they they could have at easily easily allowed more goals if Adriana French hadn't made five big saves to to make sure they get a two two draw. Michael asks the Thorns have blown three leads in the 90th minute or later. Why can't they seem to see out the result late, and what do they need to fix? I feel like this is something we've talked about with the Thorns before. I think last season it was more about you know, mental mistakes leading to defensive errors. And these are these sorts of things where you can't pinpoint any specific thing that causes this. It's, I think it's a mentality issue. I think it's, it's something that uh, will work itself out as the season goes on, because what we've seen time and time again with the thorns is they have seasons like this. They have fits and starts. They look good for a while. Then there's a setback and, they don't really seem to hit their stride until the end. I mean, the thorns under Mark Parsons, their sort of calling card is that they might struggle a little bit early in the season, but it's that second half of the season or that final third of the season where they're really going to hit their stride. They're really going to start racking up points and ensure their playoff position, ensure their form where you can fully expect that they're, you know, going to make it to the final or, you know, be a contender. So, I mean, Conceding goals in the 90th minute, I mean, you can't pinpoint something and say, this is why it's happening. I think it's, you know, making sure that players are locked on for the entire game until the whistle blows. And that's, you know, it's something we've seen before with, you know, mental mistakes leading to goals being conceded in the past. And generally what happens is they eventually figure it out. Yeah, I I think that, you know, on the road against a, a Utah team that's very good, the, the Thorns were always going to deal with late pressure, and sometimes one of those goals go in. It, it very easily could have ended in 3-2 if A.D. French hadn't come up with some big saves and, and Utah could have won. I, yeah. I think there's some disappointment around that, but they are playing on the road in a difficult place to play, and they are reintegrating players right now. Yeah. I, this it, It's hard to put too much weight in what we're seeing right now because this team is going to look very different in a few weeks once mm-hmm. the u.s players are back um for good and, and mark parsons can sit down and say okay here's our lineup here's our strategy here's our substitution patterns and that's what it's going to look like for the rest of the year and let's make sure we're the best team that we can be doing that um 
so I, I think part of it is reintegrating players and, and just sort of getting getting back in the flow of things. And, and like you said, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think part of it is just the mentality and mental mistakes. So even if they're not as obvious as the, the mistakes that we've seen last year when the Thorns were conceding goals early in the season, it comes down to not defending a cross well enough, not being, um, I, I mean, Elizabeth Ball gets beat by Christian Press um, in this game in Utah. And I, I think while that was a great play from Christian Press, ended up on Sports Center, it's also the kind of thing where I think Elizabeth Ball probably says, maybe I could have positioned myself a little bit better to kind of force her to the byline yeah. um, or, or not been as susceptible of being nutmegged in that moment. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Um, the U.S. women's national team players on both sides returned to this game. Uh, Lindsay Horan and A.D. Franch started for the Thorns. Tailbin Heath and Emily Sonnet came off the bench. Obviously, uh, the other side, Christian Press and Kelly O'Hara, um, for different reasons, had big impacts on the game as well. Um, I feel like the Thorns controlled the first half and Utah sort of dominated the second, but... What, what did you think? Did you think that the maybe at least on the Thorns side, did you feel like the women's national team players returning made um, a big difference? Yeah, I mean, Mark Parsons was asked uh, last week when the players uh, first got back about it, and he said it's going to be a process integrating these players. It is not going to happen overnight. It might take a little bit of time. The players are going to be coming in at different levels. There's going to be, um, you know, a period where they're going to have to get used to playing together again. And, I mean, the World Cup break uh, wasn't really a break at all. The NWSL (laughs) essentially took one weekend off. So the Thorns rolled on without their U.S. players for a lot of games. And they were playing pretty well without these players. But these players are good enough that you have to go through that period where you're reintegrating them into the team. And it's important that there is this time where they're able to do that. I think that, you know, it's certainly disappointing to not come away with a win against Utah, but I think that it's not 100% right now. I, I don't think the Thorns are looking the best they are going to look this season. And, I mean, I would also say, you know, you talked about the Thorns controlled the first half. Utah had a better second half. I think also, I mean, it's not really an excuse, but I think Utah, it's at altitude. I think they have an advantage in those types of games where it is being contested until the very final whistle. Um, And I think Laura Harvey um, is a really good coach as well. So that helps. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, the U S players coming back, it certainly changes things. I think, you know, it might take a couple more games until we sort of see them firing on all cylinders, but I'm sure that it'll happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I, I think it's more likely that we might see all four of them in the lineup for this week. And obviously Heath and Sonic came off the bench A.D. Franch, who hadn't played um, in, in over a month, I was I was sort of interested to see whether that sort of break of not actually getting game minutes was going to make a difference. Um, yeah. She looks ready to go, and obviously it's way easier to integrate a goalkeeper. It's just a matter of if, if they're ready to play, and um, that was obviously great to see. I think Britt Eckerstrom uh, showed better than she had shown in the past, but to have the two-time NWSL goalkeeper of the year back in the net certainly helped and is certainly going to help. And, and Lindsey Rand, you know, could sort of set up the the thorns 
uh, I believe, second goal. Um, she was credited for it briefly. I guess it was ultimately an own goal. Um, I, I think she had some good moments too, but I, I agree with you. I think over time we're going to see what this team looks like with the national team players. And, and it, it really isn't going to happen until after they get back from the first game of the victory tour. Cause they're going to be gone yeah. for that August 3rd game versus sky blue. I, we're really not going to see what this team looks like um, until mid August. Yeah, that's going to be a little bit disruptive, but I think that sort of works out for the Thorns because I feel like it's not really until that point where they start to hit their stride anyway, even in years where there's not this disruption from you know a major tournament. The Thorns are just sort of a late-season team. I mean, Mark Parsons has really mastered uh, peaking at the right time, so I think that's a great time for the U.S. players to be coming back and to be integrating into the team. Yeah. Donna wanted to know, uh, first, an update on Ellie Carpenter. I'll I'll just give that update first if you guys hadn't seen. She is out for Wednesday's game. Um, Kelly O'Hara committed a a foul on her um, that that, um, Mark Parsons talked uh, about. Well, it wasn't a foul, right? The referee didn't. Sorry, you're right. That is a good point. (laughs) Committed what should have been a foul on her. It was a slight tackle. Yeah, we've already (laughs) gone into my opinion on this. No. Kelly O'Hara's challenge on Ellie Carpenter, she slid into her ankle. Um, Ellie Carpenter had to come out of the game. She is injured. She will be out for Wednesday's game. Mark Parsons said it's a good thing, sort of, that the Thorns don't play over the weekend because that means that there's a potential um, that she could be back for the Sky Blue game, but but he wasn't sure at this moment how long that was going to take. The other side of that, clearly I, I sort of stated part of my opinion. Um, <laughs> Donna wants to know, and I think a lot of people have asked about this day, do you think Kelly O'Hara should have been carded for that tackle? Well, you go first, Jamie. I'm interested <laughs> to hear what you have to say. Clearly I said it. I think that <laughs> a, a lot of people have talked about, you know, it's a really nasty challenge. That should have been a straight red, studs up. I don't think I'm that far. I don't feel that strongly about it. I don't think it was from behind. I heard some people saying studs up from behind. She was really coming in from the side. Yeah. Her studs were up. She, I think absolutely, and intention doesn't, doesn't really matter in this, but I think absolutely was going for the ball. The way she slid, she hits Carpenter's foot at, at the point of contact. So she hits it where the ball had just been. Um, It's a bad challenge. I think it was unfortunate because I don't think that's what O'Hare was trying to do. I think it should have been a foul, though. I, I yeah. mean, I think it should have been foul. I think it should have probably been a yellow card is what I would have given it. I, and I, I'm guessing part of the reason it wasn't called was because it was in the box and the referee didn't want to necessarily award a penalty on something maybe um, they weren't sure about. Yeah, I, I feel like anywhere else on the field, uh, we would have definitely seen a foul called and probably a yellow card. Yeah, so I think, I think we actually agree a little more than I, I thought <laughs> I thought we were going to. It definitely should have been at least a foul, it, which wasn't even called. Um, I think it, it was it was careless. I mean, O'Hara mm-hmm. was late. She missed yeah. the ball. She left her feet. Um, so I, I think at a minimum it's a foul. I don't I don't know if it's a yellow card to be honest. I mean, have we seen referees call a yellow card for that? We have, and I mean, soccer is the sort of game where referees have the leeway to essentially decide what they think a yellow card is and kind of dictate that in the game. I think if you go by the letter of the law, I don't think Kelly O'Hara was being reckless in that moment. I mean, she was late, but 
not that late. I think just barely late. I think she was going for the ball. I don't think it was reckless. So I don't think, you know, it's an automatic yellow by any means. I think a yellow could have been given, but I just, I think red would have been super harsh. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a bad challenge. It's not even call it as a foul, as a foul <laughs> I think was, you know, that's welcome to the NWSL, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't great. Um, and hopefully Carpenter's okay. She's obviously been important for the Thorns, but uh, she will not be in the game on Wednesday. The Thorns did, despite getting a draw, despite the, the bit of disappointment coming out from that, not being able to get all three points in Utah, they are now in first place. Um, they are ahead of North Carolina. Looking at the season so far, we're, we're just past the halfway point of the season. How do you think we should evaluate the season so far? Has this been a success? I mean, it's so hard to say because we're in such a weird period where you spent half the season without everyone having their full rosters and, you know, those players are still being integrated. I think from the standpoint of the question going into the season was – how are the Thorns, how is Mark Parsons, how are the players who are going to be asked to step up, how are they going to deal with the World Cup? And I think from that standpoint, you have to say that it was a success, that it was an open question. The Thorns are one of the teams in the NWSL that were going to be hit hardest by World Cup absences. And I think they weathered that well. I mean, they're in first place. The World Cup ended two weeks ago, so that's pretty good. Um but I, it's still so early. I think, you know, judging the season now is difficult. But I think that was the question, World Cup. And if that was the question, the answer is yes. They, they um, you know, they were able to weather that and they've done what they needed to do and what they wanted to do. Yeah, I think you have to kind of look at the season in three parts. The first part being the very beginning when the World Cup players were here did they do enough to leave the team in a good spot when they left it? Yes, um, they did. It was only a few games, but yes, the Thorns were in a good spot then. The World Cup period, they're missing nine players. Are they going to be able to prove they have depth and get wins? I think huge success to be able to do yeah. what they did during that time, given the players they were missing. Now the question is, what's the end of the season going to look like? Because the team that the Thorns are going to be here in this, really, I, I mean, the final, third, final half of the season um, is the team that's going to potentially make a run in playoffs or not. And they still have to prove they've obviously proved it with many of these players in past years who have been here for a long time, but they have to prove that they can be that first place team that like the fact that they're in first place right now, doesn't really speak to the personnel that they or anyone in the league has yeah. at this point. So yeah, it's, it's a success. It's like so an outdated <laughs> measure yeah. of the quality of the teams in the NWSL. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a success so far, but I, I think it, it's a completely different team now. It's just sort of that the Thorns get to start at this point in the season higher up. Um, right, yeah, they have the a head teams. start, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're a different team. Every other team is a different team. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, so looking at a, another team who's a, a different team, like every other team, as you mentioned, Thorns versus Houston Wednesday. Uh, we talked a little bit about it, but let's get into a little bit more. Thorns play at home at 7.30. World Cup players, just a tidbit that everyone should know, will be honored before the game. It sounds like the the organization has um, plans to honor all nine of the World Cup players before the game, and then 
there might be some other things going around. I heard they might have some sort of banner that fans can sign to, to wish the World Cup players well, things like that. Um, not exactly sure on the specifics on anything else yet, uh, but I'm sure we will be posting that as we find out. So should be a cool game to be at. Um, but I, I think one of the interesting questions going to this game is more looking at how the Thorns are going to approach this. Um, I, I guess I'll just start with this. Um, like I mentioned before, I would expect we we didn't see Heath or Sonnen in the starting lineup. I would expect them to be back in for this game, uh, given that they've had a little bit more time to train. So I'd be a little bit surprised yeah. we don't see all four women's national team players in here. I, I think at this point, Midge Purse has earned her spot on the field, um, even though you have questions with sounding like Anna Cernogorshevich is, is going to be healthy for this game. Dagny Brainer's daughter will be back after getting married last week. Haley Rosso is obviously an option. Caitlin Ford. I, I think Mitch Purse has earned her spot on the field. Um, so I, I don't see that changing. Um, I think there'll be some questions on where you, what you do with Ford, what you do with Rosso. I wouldn't be surprised to see players like Cernogorshevich and Brainer's daughter sort of moving to the bench now. At this point, I'm not sure if either of them really proved in the World Cup period that they have to be on the field. Yeah, I think that sounds right. And I think that, I think Mark Parsons is going, we're going to, I think we will see him sort of test some lineups out, tinker a little bit, because, you know, like we just talked about, these players are being reintegrated. It's seeing how they play off each other, work together again. And, you know, I, I think the starting lineup that we see against the Dash is, you know, not necessarily the starting lineup that we're going to keep seeing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I honestly don't really know because I think Mark is going to um, try to figure some things out. I, I think he probably will use this period to sort of nail down what what the starting lineup should be after we sort of get through, you know, the victory tour and all that. Um so yeah, I, I I mean he could do anything honestly. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, and I, I think speaking to like what you said with if he can do anything, he did mention that sort of in terms of strategy formation, those types of things. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to to change everything up right now with the national team players leaving. So, yeah. So the question is, do you do you play to the strengths of the players on the field for Wednesday, or do you sort of just stick? with what you've been doing because you know in a week uh, some of these players are going to be gone. And does that even change? I mean, I'm saying I think all the four, the national, the women's national, U.S. women's national team players will start. But is there any reason to maybe not start them because you're going to go back, you're kind of going to keep the same strategy you've been doing and you're not really fully integrating them until after they come back from the Sky Blue game. So yeah. I assume they'll all start. I assume that there will be some strategies around that. I assume there will be some elements of not wanting to change too much. Um, but like you said, there, there's many different ways that Mark Parsons could go with this. Yeah. So Mark Parsons is not afraid to shake <laughs> things up. So no, yeah, no, I think he, he might be a little bit easier to predict than Gio though. Sometimes. Yeah. Gio- although Gio, like, I feel like there was a period last season where like every single game we were surprised by like <laughs> his starting lineup or the formation and Gio has settled down a little bit. He's yeah. definitely been much more predictable this season and not to take us back into Timber's territory, but I am curious to see if we're going to see Gio of old again, maybe he'll start to 
shake things up, try some different <laughs> formations, you know, against the galaxy, maybe that's a good time to, you know, try something different. But anyway, we, we already finished the Timber segment, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah, no, we could we could get into a whole podcast probably on trying to analyze what Geo is going to do um, and probably be wrong at the end of it. But <laughs> so let's hit some thorns listener questions. Um, Jeffrey wants to know, and, and he's asked this before, uh, he said, same question I asked at the beginning of the season, what have the thorns done to make themselves better than North Carolina this year? North Carolina is in second place, one point behind the thorns right now. Yeah. You know, I actually, at the after last season ended, I asked Mark Parsons specifically about that. What do you do to make sure you're better than the North Carolina Courage? And what he said was, you can't focus on trying to be better than one team. What the Thorns need to focus on is being the best version of the Thorns that they can be. And I think there's a belief that if the Thorns are performing at their absolute best, they win the NWSL championship last year. They can beat the North Carolina Courage. I think um, the way Mark Parsons talked about it is that, you know, some of the players were maybe at 95% of what they could have been, and, you know, that's sort of the difference. So I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I don't think that's the way that the Thorns are approaching it. I don't think they're fixated on North Carolina and being able to beat them. And... The season is a marathon, not a sprint. So, um, you know, I think just as we talked about, the the Thorns are going to evolve and sort of hit their stride over time. It's not the sort of thing where you you pick what you're going to do and that's how it is and that's how we're going to beat North Carolina. I think it's something where the Thorns just want to be the best team that they can be. And that is going to continue to evolve over the course of the season and in all the other seasons where Mark Parsons has been the coach, that's been the case where they get better as the season goes on. They find how do we be the best thorns we can be as the season goes on. So um, sorry to sort of uh, just reject the premise of the question, but yeah. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, I, I think that they didn't do a ton to, to make sure they were better than North Carolina. They didn't make, <laughs> I mean, it was a quiet off season. They, not yeah. much happened. I mean, so. that's true. From that perspective, there might be a level of disappointment because maybe, you know, had they made that big signing like Amandine Henri was, that that might be the difference to push them over the edge. I think this was a tough year, given with the World Cup and the Olympics next year, to I think these are the types of years just with how the NWSL is set up right now that you're going to generally see teams sort of sticking with what they have Mm -hmm. um, just because players are coming in and out and, and there's just not this ability to make this big splash, especially since a big player is potentially very likely someone competing in the world cup or something like that. And it's tough to try to integrate someone really late in the season. Um, So in that sense, yeah, maybe they haven't done a ton to get better in North Carolina. I I think the answer is that they just have to have new solutions. And and I'm sure that is something that Mark Parsons has thought about when North Carolina is at their best and the thorns are at their best. What's the solution? Because whatever they were doing last year didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, talking about uh, having a big signing, I agree it's difficult because if this is a World Cup player, she's going to be coming in and out. I also think a lot of, you know, international players want to stay close to their national teams before a World Cup. And that's why I think 
you know, when you and I, I think, were both hearing that the Thorns were sort of maybe wanting to make a big signing this year, it wasn't going to happen until after the World Cup because it's just – Players are focused on the World Cup. That's the most important thing. They're not going to be going into a new environment that, you know, they they don't know how it's going to work out for them. Um, they're going to be away from their national team. It's going to be harder to be uh, with their national team. So, yeah, I, I think you're right that, um, you know, the Thorns could have made more moves. But I think you could say that about a lot of teams in the NWSL that actually I think could have improved and maybe didn't do very much in the off season. So, yeah. And, and so that leads into the question from Michael. Um, we just sort of just touched on it, but he asked any update on the potential big thorns international signing that was teased earlier in the season. I, I think earlier in the season, Mark said to, to you. And then I, I think um, later to me said, said they were in discussions with one or two yeah. um, big name players about potentially coming in there. I believe it was your report that, um, the player was, was a number six. Yeah. Um, I, since then I've heard the, everything I've heard makes it sound like that is cooled off and, yeah. and it seems very unlikely that a signing is going to be made. Something could have changed. I haven't talked to anyone, um, uh, you know, within the last week or two about this. Um, so I'm sure they're always looking, but from last I heard it sort of sound like, I, I, it was to the point where I would be surprised if the Thorns make a big signing before the end of the season. Yeah, and I think, so last week, I, when I had just gotten back from France, I asked Mark, you know, what was it like watching the World Cup, you know, having players on your team in that World Cup? And he, he said, he, you know, he watches as a fan. He doesn't want to watch the Thorns in coach mode. He likes to enjoy the games. But he said he was watching all of the World Cup games, scouting players. And now those players have gone back to their club teams and he's continuing to follow those players that he identified and scouted and he wants to see how they do with their club teams. So that signals to me that the Thorns are looking around. They clearly don't have one sort of target that they've settled on. They have multiple players that they've scouted and they're looking at. So, um yeah, I, I don't know if that big signing that was in mind, you know, a few months ago is still in play. I think that it sounds to me like the Thorns have moved on. Yeah. Uh, Matt asks, and I'll just answer this, um, how many Thorns matches will be impacted by the U.S. Women's National League Victory Tour? Um, as we mentioned, that those U.S. Women's National League players will miss the August 3rd game versus Sky Blue. The other four games in the Victory Tour are in FIFA Windows. And, of course, this depends on when Jill calls the players into camp. Yeah. Uh, but Mark Parsons said he um, thought that the, the, the Sky Blue game would be the only game that these Thorns players miss. And I will just plug my own book and add <laughs> that um, I report a lot about the new CBA that the national team passed in my book. And one of the new things is, you know, when they won in 2015, they went on a 10-game victory tour. And that was a lot of games, and that took the players away from their NWSL games for a big chunk of time. The new CBA says that the victory tour is only four games, and it has to be in FIFA windows. The 
national team players wanted to focus on the NWSL and not take so much time away from the NWSL. So that's in the CBA. It's supposed to be four games. They did add an extra game. It's that August 3rd one that is not in a FIFA window. Um, But as far as the, you know, the contract and the way it's going to work going forward, four-game victory tour in FIFA window, so it won't disrupt the NWSL. Um, And if you want to know more about the CBA, you can can check out my book. Yeah, that's good information. I think um, most people weren't really sure what the victory tour would look like, so yeah. um, it's good. We're going to have all the U.S. Women's National Team answers on this podcast <laughs> all the scoop. from now on. Um, well, this is not based on any of your research, but if you want to predict uh, more predictions, Andy wants to know our last question on, on Thorne's side. Which U.S. Women's National Team player, I guess this could be Thorne's or you could – make it broad for the whole league will have the Mm. greatest impact going into the NWSL playoffs. Well, I have, I have no clue because (laughs) I mean, part of it is okay. Which players are going to make an impact? Another part of it is which team that these players are on are going to be in a position where they're using this player properly. Alex Morgan had a great world cup. She's not that good with the Orlando pride because they just, they don't know how to use her correctly and get service to her and build around her in a way that she can perform the same in the NWSL that she does for the U.S. Women's National Team. So um, I guess to to give an answer, I'm going to say Tobin Heath because I feel like you can never really go wrong when you're predicting that Tobin Heath is going to do good <laughs> things. <laughs> and I do think that the Thorns are going to be a strong team going into uh the playoffs so I guess I could have picked Lindsay Horan as well I'm gonna stick with Tobin Heath though so (laughs) I I mean I could easily go with either of those so I'm not um but I'm gonna go with Christian Press and I think that Utah right now they're they're in sixth place but they're only two points out of playoff position I think if Christian Press comes in um, with the other talent that the Utah has with Amy Rodriguez, obviously Kelly O'Hara is back as well. Um, but if she comes in and has the type of season that Christian Press has had uh, in the NWSL, plays the best that she can, I, I think she could turn Utah into a playoff team. Uh, so yeah. in terms of impact for the team she's on, I, I think I'm going to go for her. Yeah, she Kristen Press had a good World Cup, even though she didn't... Like she, she played a second string role, but when she came in and scored a really important goal against England. Yeah. So um, I have to think that Kristen Press is feeling pretty confident coming off the World Cup that she has had. So I, I think that's a good shout. All right. So I made you predict a few things along the way, and now I'm going to make you predict more. Um, this is prediction time, and since you don't work for the Timbers, and I, I'm going to assume you have no qualms about predicting. Um, I didn't ask you in advance, but I just decided that you were How going to predict. How dare you, Jamie? <laughs> we're going to predict the games coming up this, uh, this Wednesday, um, probably when people are listening to this podcast, the Thorns game Wednesday versus Houston and the Timbers versus Galaxy Saturday. Uh, let's start with Thorns versus Houston. What's... what? Uh, what scoreline so, do you have and what side yeah, bets? Yeah, so have? we do a score and then so my side bets are gonna be a little lukewarm. I'm gonna <laughs> get more creative as we go right. on, but this is my first one, so I'm you know dipping my toe in the water here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna say the so we're just starting with the score or I'm giving you my score and my side bet right now. 
Yeah, both of them. Okay. So I'm going to say that the Thorns are going to win one to zero. So I am predicting a bit of a snoozer. I apologize. And I think that Tobin Heath is going to get the assist on the goal. All right. Well, I have been doing these predictions for a while, and I'm also going to have a lukewarm <laughs> side bet. Um, <laughs> I, I'm getting back into the side bets, too. I mean, Richard was doing that for a while, so um, I'm dipping my feet in as well. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna say it's going to be a little bit more exciting than one nothing. I'm going to say it's a 3-1 win. I, I think the Thorns are going to have a pretty convincing win at home. I think Lindsey Horan is going to get a goal. Maybe both will happen. Yeah. Heath and Not Horan. Not bad. I mean, definitely within the realm of possibility. All right. Timbers Galaxy. What's going to happen? So I'm also predicting another snoozer, I guess. And I'm predicting a 1-0 win for the Galaxy. And I'm predicting that that goal is going to come from a penalty that the Timbers are going to concede. Which would be in line with what happened last time they went to the galaxy. So um, I didn't even think about that. So, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly how they lost last time. Um, uh, different scoreline, but on penalties, two-two draw is what I'm going with. I am a little worried about the Timbers playing at home right now, and I'm pretty, I guess, high on Zlatan after that last game. I am gonna go with a galaxy side bet, and I'm gonna go that Zlatan has the brace. So. Yeah, yeah, I didn't justify my prediction, but I think it's sort of obvious. The Timbers haven't been great at home. They don't have Diego Chara. I mean, I, I've lost track of that stat in terms of, like, games he doesn't start. I don't know what yeah, it is. It's, it's confusing. It's because a lot. He came, he, see, he came into a game, but he didn't... <laughs> Yeah, I remember it's, there was something won. that sort of, like, made it not a clean yeah, they, like, stat anymore they, or something. They won, but he came in late. So, like, what does that count as? Like, mm. games that he started, yes, it goes on, but, like, it's games that he's appeared in. It's okay. it's a little complicated, but either way, the, the well, point is... Well, he's not is, starting. He's not going to be there yeah, at all. Yeah, he's not playing. So. I mean, the, the point is they don't... <laughs> they historically have struggled with that Diego Char. I think we can... 100% say that. Okay. Yeah. So I, between that and just, I don't know how the Galaxy are going to play, but they very well could just say, well, Orlando had a B team and bunkered and left with a point. So maybe they'll do that too. So that is my prediction. And we should wrap this up, I guess. <laughs> Sorry to <Yeah>. keep talking. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's okay. I think, I think this went well. We'll see. Um, what the yeah, listeners we'll, say, we'll but I, say. I've, I've nice. enjoyed, I've enjoyed hearing your opinion. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed this. This has been great. I'm really excited to continue recording with you and, and talking more timbers and thorns every week before we go, I got to do the fantasy update. Um, so we have two leagues as I, I think people remember now. So I'll run through those head to head league in third place. We have timbers beast. That's Mac in second place. We have King of thunder. That is clay. In first place, and this seems to be the the name we hear. Um, you, you'll hear this a lot, Caitlin. Luke <laughs> score more goals, which is Robert. He's in first place in the head to head. And then in our open league, uh, I haven't seen this name before, but I like it. Third place, we have Portland Tobin FC. Um, that's B. I don't know that B's full name, but it said B. So I like that name. That that's a good one. Mm. Um, in second place, again in this league, Luke score more goals. That's Robert. Robert's on a roll. 
needs to needs to play some fantasy bets or something. Yeah, for money. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he he knows what he's doing when it comes to fantasy. Um, Clearly. And in first place, uh, Robert Robert still is a I guess not doing quite as he well as he wants to in, in the open league because he's in second. But in first place, we have uh, the Woofer Hampton Woofs. Um, and that's, uh, I was waiting to see if you were going to say the Woofer Hampton woofs or woofs <laughs> I, I wonder know. yeah we should ask this person how they would like the narcy who i which I, i'm not sure if that's a real name either so um yeah we should we should yeah, reach out, out on those pronunciations i'm guaranteed <laughs> yeah. to mess them up so <laughs> i am guaranteed to mess up every pronunciation probably <laughs> all the time all the words surprise people can understand the board. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a weird way to end but you know it's okay. Um, yeah. So <laughs> now, now that I, now that we got this podcast, uh, um, recorded, I think this is going to be a more regular thing. Obviously we're, yeah. uh, off next week, but, um, we should be back uh, weekly, uh, from here on out, unless there's any specific week, we'll let you know if we're not recording, but, um, welcome aboard Caitlin and we will be back yes. next week. Um, you can find us every week on iTunes and Stitcher. You can, uh, find the podcast Oregon live and Sumtown footy. Um, and until next week, take care.